You are listening to WMNF Tampa, WMNF 88.5 FM, WMNF.org, the best little station in the nation. Thank you so much for being out there, for being part of this wonderful, wonderful radio station. My name is Joellen Schilke. I am the hostess who loves you absolutely the mostest. This show is called Art in Your Ear, and today on WMNF, we're going to be talking in just a few minutes to Colette Bancroft. She is the book editor at the Tampa Bay Times uh, and many other things, and we are going to be talking about Band Book Week, Band Books Week. This is Band Books Week, and hey, Florida, we're a leader in banning books, so we're going to have that conversation. Also, WMNF is celebrating uh, Latin uh, creators, Latin culture, all sorts of Latin stuff. So we have a bunch of music on our playlist from Latin artists. Right now we're listening to uh, Canalón de Tepique uh, with uh, De Mari Rio and uh, more stuff coming soon. And also, so excited, tomorrow is the record sale. Oh my God. Records and CDs and people have books and they have music memorabilia and all sorts of really cool things. It's going to be at New World Brewery from noon to four. Uh, So lots of stuff going on. Thanks for being part of this radio show. Thank you for listening. And we are going to start off with some Heinz, the uh, Spanish band Heinz, Good Bad Times.
Memphis turning New World Brewery into the world's best record store. With beer and pizza. On September 24th from noon to 4 p.m., you can shop our record sale. We have multiple vendors, hundreds of records and CDs, plus music from WMNF DJs. New World Brewery is located at 810 Skagway Avenue in Tampa, just off Bush Boulevard. More information at WMNF.org under events. Beer and pizza. <laughs> that just amuses me so much. Um, thanks for listening to Art in Your Ear. As I mentioned, Colette Bancroft will be coming on in a few minutes. There's a couple things other than that that I want to tell you. Uh, coming up on Live Music Showcase at 2 o'clock, the band Bangarang is going to be celebrating their 10th anniversary. And they're kind of like a hip rock fusion band. And that will be really fun. That's from 2 to 3 on the Live Music Showcase. Before that, we are blessed with E-Love. She plays on ultrasounds from 1 to 2. This wonderful uh, global electronica mix that takes you from chilling out to being really um, dancey. So uh, stick with that. I want to let you know also that uh, the Howard Franklin Bridge going westbound or southbound uh, from about the... When I walked past the hump... uh, going towards St. Pete was backed up. The uh, interstate is narrowed down to one lane. So if you can avoid the Howard Franklin Bridge, I would definitely try to do that and take another route. And um, oh, last thing I want to tell you is that uh, we have a fun drive coming up in October. Uh, Art in Your Ear's goal has gone up by $500. So if you have not donated to Art in Your Ear this year, please consider donating and supporting this show at this time slot. Uh, After October 1st, if you could send us whatever you can afford. It could be $5 a month. It could be $50. It could be $1,000, whatever you can afford. Um, But please, after October 1st, donate to keep this show uh, strong and uh, let us talk about these great subjects every Friday here with you and play you some music. Uh, So, all right. Well, I'm going to play you a book song and then come back, hopefully, with Colette on the line. Here we have one of our totally well-known book songs uh, from my youth. Maybe it's from your youth, too. Here's some talking heads.
You know, one of my favorite lines in that is, the book I read was in your eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, welcome, Colette Brancroft, to Art in Your Ear here on WMF. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. So you have been uh, the book editor for at the Times for... Decades, two decades, a long time. Almost 16 years. Right. I've been at the Times for 25 years, but I've been the book editor for about 16. So can I ask you, and and this is totally off topic, um, as a writer, Mm -hmm. you write, how has being the book editor affected how you write? Um. I, I hope it's affected me positively um, <laughs> yeah. because I'm always, in, in a way, judging other people's writing. And, and I hope, I, I think, that comes, I bring that to my own writing, that I, I sort of judge it as well or, 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 or that it improves my writing. I hope so. Do you feel that it helps you to be dispassionate? In, at times with your own writing that you need to be? Or is that, I mean, I think that's always kind of like that struggle for writers. Right, it is. Murder your darlings, is what they call it. Um, Because I've read so many books where I thought, boy, these first hundred pages should have been chopped off. Right. (laughs) So so it does does sort of steal me for that, I think. I hope. But I asked you, and thank you for that, I asked you to come in and chat about uh, this week has been Banned Books Week. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, of course, we live in the state, we're number two uh, in banning (laughs) books, behind only Texas in the number Uh of books banned. And, you know, PEN America released a report on banned books, uh, which is, is stunning in a not good way. <laughs> so from your perspective, like where you stand as book editor for the time, so you have to, you know, you review books and, and stuff like that, but also you have a much larger role in understanding kind of the um, the global or, you know, the national look at books. How, how do you see the uh, banning of books within our state and within our culture and our, our community? How do you see that affecting our readers, affecting readership, does it have a negative impact? I think it has a very complicated impact. It's, it's something that sort of cycles in and out. Um, you know, we, we, there's plenty of historical examples of book banners, and none of them are treated kindly by history. You know, Nazi Germany, apartheid South Africa, you know. Um, this has been done before. The American Library Association, which puts out the banned book list, has been doing this for 40 years. And uh, banned books for for this list, the purposes of this list are are books that are challenged or um, questioned for use in schools for for readers who are in K through twelve schools. Um, it's not a wider sort of book banning where you know a book can't be sold in bookstores. That hasn't happened in a long time. But these are books that are pulled off school shelves, and I think it has a mixed. Um, effect on readers, specifically on those young readers, I think for a lot of them, it makes them go and read those books. Um, when I was in high school at Robinson many years ago, our, our honors English teacher assigned Moby Dick, and she told us, I want you to read these chapters this week and these chapters next week, but I don't want you to read chapter 95. Chapter 95 in Moby Dick is a hilarious, bawdy, blasphemous chapter called The Cassock that has to do with the sex organs of whales. And, of course, every single one of us went home that very <laughs> night and read Chapter 95. <laughs> you didn't read another word of Moby Dick 
read chapter 95. Right. <laughs> and, and we've seen that on, you know, if you go to the Amazon bestseller list, when these books get into the news for being banned in schools, they shoot up the bestseller list. So uh-huh. in a way, it's an exercise in futility. But it also has a chilling effect um, because it says these things are so bad we don't want kids to know about them. And that's, that's the scary part. And that chilling effect does extend beyond schools. It's bad enough that it's in the schools, but it extends, I think, to to the publishing industry uh, when they think about what they'll publish. And it's hard to quantify that, but I think it does have an impact. And on writers, you know, what what book do I write? Mm-hmm. Am I willing to challenge? Am I willing to be challenged? Um, or should I write about something safe? There's also yeah. uh, libraries yeah. that are, are banning books or, or people trying to ban books in libraries. I remember when Rhonda Storms was banning anything uh, with Pride Month and just mm-hmm. uh, recently, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't look it back up before the show, the, another library had their, um, their any LGBT books uh, had to be, couldn't be displayed uh, and stuff. So it is yeah. go, going a little bit beyond well, it is, schools. It is affecting. In one library, I believe it's, I should have looked this up too, but I think it was in Michigan very recently. Um, this was a the town library, not the school library. Parents wanted some group of books taken off shelves. And the librarians, bless their brave hearts, said, no, we're not taking these books off the shelf. And the town council defunded the library. They <sighs> shut them down. Right. And right. that's, you know, I mean, ugh, talk about chilling. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's what it's meant to do. I had an interesting comment from uh, Tom Halleck, who's a professor at USF, and he was talking about how book banning is just the tip of an iceberg, where there is a, a defunding of humanities, a defunding of creative writing, uh, and you know, within the school systems, not just uh, for public schools at the you know lower, but in higher education public schools as mm-hmm. well, and private schools, I imagine. And my the thing that really jumped out at me is this. Uh, the list that was put out this year and then looking specifically at Florida, that 40-something percent of the books are about have um, LGBTQ plus characters. 40-something percent of the books have Mm -hmm. people of color as main characters. And so it's Mm -hmm. also this... um, you know, this this thing's telling people that if you read books about people of color or people LGBTQ, then these are bad. There's something wrong and we're going to ban them. Mm-hmm. Like that message yeah. that gets sent out is, is I think, a, a horrendous message to send out. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's, if you look at these books, these ALA lists back over the years, the content sort of shifts. You know, if you look back 20 years ago, a lot of the books that got um, uh, banned or questioned were questioned because of violence. Um, that's not on the list this year. Violence apparently is okay. Right. Um, <laughs> Which that's, yeah. I could kind of, I'm not supporting book banning, but banning for violence, I'm going to be like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> but but yes, the trend clearly is towards certain kinds of books, as you said, especially books with that are concerned with race and racism and with LGBTQ uh, people. And that points to something that's really a part of these book bans. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of described or given to us as this parental concern. And they're really political. Um, the groups like that have formed to sort of, you know, institute these book bans are, um, they have backing from 
political money. Uh, they're not these grassroots, you know, mom in the kitchen with cookies kind of groups. They're in many cases, some of them are, but in many cases, there's a political agenda behind this book by, um, book banning. It's not, that, you know, everything that Penn found in their report, everything that ALA has found, Washington Post did an investigation into this, um, that these things are, you know, there's a political drive behind them. And one thing that tells us that is in the past, books, um, books that were banned, there was a process for it. If you, if you didn't want your kid to read a, a book or a kind of book, you went to the school board and you made a request and they reviewed it and the librarians looked at it and the teachers looked at it and there was a judgment made. At what, one of the most alarming things to me in the Pan America report this year about the, not just the rise of book bannings, in the last nine months, but the fact that in 96% of those bans, those, that process was not observed. Mm. It's like, we're going to send you to book jail without a trial. You know, a, a couple of people would complain at a board meeting and the school administrator would summarily order the books taken off the shelves. Those processes, those protocols are not being observed. And that's, really alarming it's you know that power being put in the hands of a tiny number of people rather than being a democratic process thank you right yeah that that's a huge part of it dear listeners we're speaking with colette bancroft the book editor at the tampa bay times and we are talking about banned books of banned books week florida is a leader in banning books, and as probably anybody that lives in Florida, a leader in the culture wars, and this is part of it. If you want to join the conversation, you can email dj at wmnf.org or send us a text, 813-433-0885, and put your name in it so we can say hi. Um, so that was something that was interesting, too, is not only that there's the process for banning books is being skipped, but also there's stories about people sort of preemptively banning books. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, You know, again, that chilling effect. The the books that go into school libraries have always been very carefully vetted by librarians and teachers who are professionals, who are trained to do it. And, you know, they're not just somebody, you know, drops a load of books off on the sidewalk and we put them on the shelves. They're carefully chosen. And this kind of thing is chilling because... In Florida, for example, the, the laws that have been passed about, um, about subjects of books are very, very vague. There's not a list of don't put these 10 books in your library. Librarians could deal with that. It's this very vague, if, you, if any parent is offended, they can sue you. Huh. And, and <laughs> you know, uh, it, ugh. Right. it's... it's of course, it's having an effect. So, on, can I if, can books. I sue someone if they've banned a book that I think? I mean, I don't have a kid, so I wouldn't have standing. But if yeah. I had a child, and I had, and I would think that book should be in the library, can I sue them for banning the book? You probably could. The way the the vagueness of this law is such that nobody knows what could happen. You know, uh, right. who could sue who over what? Right. And and even I think that the uh, confidence in the judicial system is being a little bit disintegrated <laughs> too. So who knows? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're a teacher or a librarian and you probably don't have a whole lot of money, 
um, the threat of of an irate parent suing you because you let their kid read a particular book is is has right. is something you're going to have to think twice about. So that's interesting to me because you know you have like police departments where police officer in many places their actions are shielded and you cannot sue the individual police officer. You can't mm-hmm. sue the mayor, you know, individually. Mm-hmm. You can sue the mayor's office, but you can't sue a mayor. But you yes. can sue a teacher, another public servant. It's okay mm-hmm. to sue them, where in most public services, you cannot sue the individual. So mm-hmm. um, another commenter, uh, you know, because I asked before doing this, uh, is that, you know, is is this book banning, is it part of an attack on, on just on education in general? Mm. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think it's, it's part and partial of, of that. Um, you know, public schools are under threat in a lot of places in a lot of ways. And this is, yes, I do think this is part of it. Yeah. I just want to mention that Karen wrote in and she said, and she gave praise and I echo her praise. Pinell's library system is the best. And she's read a lot of the books deemed that they should be banned uh, thanks uh-huh. to the library. And, you know, I, after all these years, I got a library card earlier this year and I am wallowing in reading. <laughs> I am just, you know, after, yeah. after some stuff happened and I went through a big grieving period, I, uh, the, the bad part about that grief period was I was unable to read books. I just could not read a book, something difficult would happen and I'd be broken. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's over, thank goodness. And now I've just been like sucking books up. So yay libraries. Yeah. Yeah, Libraries are, are one of the great gifts of our, uh, our nation. And, uh, they do so many things for so many people. And, and it, that's another reason that it, you know, makes me so unhappy to see them under fire, um, for these not very good reasons. Yeah. Um, you were, and speaking of libraries, the Brooklyn Public Library uh, has offered free membership to any person ages 13 to 21 in the United States, mm. uh, and they can check out uh, these books. Um, and and they so far had 5,000 kids sign up and loaned out something like 20,000 books. That's awesome. I do so. think, I, I think librarians are heroes. I've seen that. I remember uh, in the early aughts around the Gulf War time when there was also a time of banning things. A lot of things mm-hmm. were being banned. Uh, if people remember back in 2002, 2003, 2004, and the librarians were really stepping forward. So librarians yeah. are indeed heroes. Dear listeners, I'm speaking with Colette Bancroft from the uh, Tampa Bay Times book editor, and we're talking about banned books here on Art in Your Ear. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that uh, in Florida, uh, going back to the types of books being banned, uh, that there is, uh, you know, there are these parental rights groups uh, happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wondering, do you as, as like, do you get um, any, I don't know what the right word is, but does it happen at the paper that you might publish a review of something, whether it's in the printed or online and get blowback from that for the types of books? Like, does it, is it happening? Is this net, is this blowback against certain types of book happening outside of banning? It hasn't, it hasn't happened to me except that, and this happens less than it used to, but I would occasionally get complaints about my reviewing books by black authors. Hmm. Um, from people who who would make racist comments, and those pretty much stopped once we got phones with uh, caller ID. 
surprisingly, those people would call anonymously. They would not give a callback number. I know. People don't, people um, want to be racist without getting the, uh, yeah, yeah. in trouble for um, it. <laughs> yeah, but, but it has happened rarely. And it certainly, it doesn't affect me in that direct sense. But, you know. Um, right. I'm affected by it more indirectly and by my concern about it and by what, you know, what kinds of things it can point to, you know. So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, and I don't, you know, we, we as a radio station cannot be partisan. And I just got a really funny and sad email from one of our listeners, Greg, who talks about, um, you know, how this is all based on lies and it's, uh, he calls it a Nazi scapegoating of LGBTQ youth and CRT, uh, you know, uh, and other things, which I agree with him. But, um, but it seems to me like, are there, is this a, um, is this a GOP thing only? Like you were talking about violence in books that were banned, you know, say 20 years ago, it was violence that was doing it. So I think as a, uh, you know, as a, as a lefty, I assume like, oh, we would never ban books, but that's not really true, is it? Yeah, no, it's not. And, and it's been done, you know, it's been done by almost every part of the political spectrum. Um, You know, the kind of, if not outright banning of books uh, to kind of direct, what what books do and don't go into schools. Um, I think this current cycle of it is more political than some others. But it's it's mo- again it's a complicated thing. I think some people have directly political motivations for doing it. Other people have different kinds of motivations for doing it. And and some people have completely sincere motivations about their own kids. And no one argues that parents have a right to you know, have input into what their own children read. The problem is when they start trying to tell other people's children what they can read, mm-hmm. you know. I, so, went to, but. I went to a Catholic school, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I went to a, a, what I realized later, not at the time, but as an adult, I realized it was a fairly progressive Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some books that we weren't, uh, so, you know, we it wasn't that they were we weren't allowed to read them. Like literally, parts were blacked out or taken out of the books, um, and and we were not allowed to read Tom Sawyer because of the perceived racism in it. Uh, mm. You know, and and there's so all these other you know there's just a lot of different uh, you know my memories of it. But at the school, the um, the our parents got a list. Like here's the here's the books that we're reading. And if you don't want your child to read this book on the subject, here are the alternates, but they have to read one of these. Yeah, yeah. Is that something that uh, that happens now or it's no, it's just these books, no, they, you just can't have them? Well, I think it depends on where you are, what school you're in, what school your kid is in and what state you're in and, you know, a lot of different things. That kind of, here's the books we're reading and if you don't want to read that, here's an alternate. That's kind of standard procedure. Teachers have been doing that, you know, forever, right. and and that's a way to accommodate, you know, parents' wishes and still, you know, teach a classroom full of kids. Right. <laughs> and and having been a teacher, you know, the number if you have like you know thirty kids and five exceptions, and you have to teach to them separately, that's you know that has an impact on your job. Right. Um, but they do it. They do it. You know, teachers do it, and and that's not that's not book banning. You know, that's we're offering you alternatives. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, that's not, we're going to take this book off the shelf. It's, you know, and I went to Catholic school too, and we were told not to read books. And I read Lolita when I was, <laughs> that's my girl. <laughs> I, I, read, I read, I read, uh, you know, just all sorts of things. I, you know, I was reading adult books. The, the biggest favor my mother ever did for me was when I was about nine, I used to go to the library by myself after school. And I tried to check out an adult book one day. I don't even remember what it was. And I don't mean it was X-rated. I just mean it was a book, you know, mm-hmm. for adults. And the, the librarian told me I couldn't have it unless my mother wrote me a note. So I went home and told my mother. And she wrote me a note that said, Colette can have any book she wants anytime she wants. Ah. Joanne Mullaney. And it's the big one of the biggest favors my mother ever did. Nice. <laughs> nice. So do you come from a family of readers? You know, not not huge readers. My father was an avid newspaper reader. He'd read three or four newspapers a day. Mm-hmm. And my mother read a lot of newspapers and, and did read books. My dad didn't read a lot of books, but my mother read some. Um, I have I have one brother who doesn't read a lot, and I have one brother who reads more than I do. I've seen him read <laughs> two books in a day. Oh my god, <laughs> just amazing! So, so, so there's no logic to that right. family situation. My my retirement dreams revolve around reading two books a day. <laughs> <laughs> my my retirement dreams revolve around being able to reread books because as a uh, book editor. A book critic, I never get to reread anything, right? Because there's always new books, right? For me, that's true. And, uh, you know, that's my. I have a list, a reread list that will require me to live to be about 120. <laughs> I think you can do it. You can totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I uh, now. Uh, I know we just have a few more minutes left, and I have 97 different questions. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of want to go back to uh, to Florida. I want to bring us down back home where we have um, all of these banned books. I don't remember the exact numbers. I have them up somewhere yeah. around here. Uh, I wrote it. I wrote it down from the AL from the Penn report, right? Um, and they actually, in the most recent one, Florida is number three <gasps> for banned books after Texas. And we got bumped out of number two by Pennsylvania. Really? Because there is, yes, Florida's total is 204 banned books in a nine-month period ah. in seven school districts um, out of 67, I think. Um, and um, the, what bumped us out of number two was there's a single school district in Pennsylvania that has banned more than 400 books. Wow. And then Texas is like 700 and something. Right. So, you know, and then, we, um, we, banned, we banned a lot. So, and then is this usually, you know, so we have, um, I'm looking at the bills, HB7, House Bill 7, House Bill, uh, it looks like 1557, that are... Um, you know, educational gag orders, as as they said, uh, about LGBTQ plus issues and identities, race, mm-hmm. sex, color, national origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be those those things, race, sex. Uh, and when they say sex, I don't know if they mean gender or if they mean sexual activity, but I think they mean both. Ge- both. both. They, yeah, a lot of the books that are questioned are questioned because they're about um, LGBTQ characters, right. but there are also a lot of books that are questioned for sexually explicit material, and there's some overlap. Right, some I see. Our books about right, like um, if you had an LGBTQ plus character who was of color who was having sex, 
that book may not ever show up <laughs> in some classrooms. <laughs> Probably not. So, huh. Um, so yeah. is there, uh, are you aware of, or through the newspaper, I'm like assuming that you know what's in the brain of every single reporter at the <laughs> Times, um, are you aware of, uh, you know, of the coverage of this throughout the state? Like how... Is there a certain way, a better way of reporting on this, a better way of advocating? Like what's, you know, if if you were in charge, what would you have, not just the newspaper doing, but what would you have people doing to address this? Um, I, I know we've covered it. Um, our education reporters who cover K-12, Jeff Solacek and, and uh, Maureen Sokol, sorry, um, have covered it, Marilyn Sokol have covered it extensively they have. And, and stayed on it. But the one thing I, I mentioned earlier that these things were, these books were being taken off the shelf without observing protocols, that means it kind of happens in secret. Mm. And that 1,500 banned books number is probably low. Right. Because so many books are being removed without any public notice. That, oh. And that's a lot harder to report. If right. nobody's reporting these books are being subtracted, it's harder to get at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, what I'd like to see uh, just personally is for them to start observing the rules again right. about how books are removed. Right. Um, and because apparently, according to Penn, a lot of them aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's certainly one thing. And And, you know, it just seems... I can't imagine supporting the banning of books. I don't know why someone would support that. Mm-hmm. You should read everything. You should read as much as you can, you know, and and every one of us should stretch our boundaries and read books that maybe take us out of our comfort zone. Right. Um, and to be so afraid of written I mean, words. That's how I live my life, you know. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the motivating factor in the... I've been a, a literature professor and a book critic, and that's that's kind of what I do. Right. Um, so, is so there, everybody should read all the books. Is there any relationship, or, or what do you think uh, is the relationship between stuff going on with textbooks and that is, you know, that there is a also an outcry about um, information that's included in textbooks and the mm-hmm. banned books? Or is it the same groups that are? Uh, addressing textbooks or the same funding for groups that's addressing the textbooks as well as the banned books? There's some overlap, yeah. Mm. Yeah, there is. And it's often the same kinds of subject matter that are deemed objectionable in textbooks. So do you imagine that there's going to be anything at this year's uh, Times uh, Festival of Reading about banned books? Um, There may be. Um, (laughs) They're, they're nice segue. Uh, <laughs> I'm very proud of it. <laughs> we, have, we have we have a couple of authors who are going to talk on subjects that are um, that are on the controversial list. So I think so. Right. Um, I can't tell you yet who those authors are. <gasps> we're going to be we're going to be <laughs> sorry. Uh, no spoiler alert. Non spoiler alert. I can't tell you who they are because we'll be announcing on October second. Uh, who our who's our our lineup is for this year's festival? But I can tell you um, that this year's festival will be in person again. Oh, good! Two years of doing the festival virtually, and we thank everyone who who watched it and supported it through those two years. We're going back to an in person festival. It will be a smaller festival than we have done in the past. It will be at the Palladium Theater in downtown St. Pete. 
um, on November 12th for one day, and we'll have a total of around a dozen authors. Um, and we hope that people will continue to support it. We have we have some really terrific people, both local authors and authors from beyond uh, here, and um, I'm excited about it. Well, I hope we can have some of your authors here on November 11th on Art in Your Ear. Um, that would be great, since it is truly one of my favorite things that happen in uh, the area every single year. Just a way to I think just... I could help you make that. <laughs> I think so. And now I've got your number. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anything to look forward in this Sunday's paper? Um, I have a review in this Sunday's paper of a new, uh, well, new first book by a Florida-raised author named Jonathan Escoffery. He grew up in Miami. His family is from Jamaica. And it's a, a, a novel in short stories called If I Survive You. Ooh. And, uh, and he's, it's a really promising, exciting debut book um, that's, that's very funny and uh, a great kind of insightful uh, portrait of Miami and that very multicultural, you know, population that lives there. So, uh, so that I'm excited about that. Well, that sounds really fun. Well, dear listeners, we've been speaking with Colette Bancroft. She is the book editor at the Tampa Bay Times. You can get more information, of course, by going to tampabay.com. And I'll have uh, links on our Facebook and WMNF.org page to Colette and then also to PEN America's uh, censored um, list. It's uh, information about banned books. And then also what we can do about this, uh, which I think, why tell people about problems if we can't give them solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Colette, yeah. thank you so much. That was like the fastest half hour in the history of the show. that's my ambition (laughs) there you you, you won check off your list go have a cocktail thank you so much thank Thank you you for inviting me All right. take care (laughs) bye bye you too Florida native Tom Petty would be turning 72 this year, so WMNF will be celebrating his birthday with a full night of his music. In honor of our home state hero, WMNF presents Just Do Me Like That, the Tom Petty birthday tribute show at Skipper's Smokehouse. You'll hear over 40 songs from 26 albums in five hours, a nonstop music event that you don't want to miss as 14 bands play three Tom Petty songs, each in their own style. For songs from Petty's entire career, including the Heartbreakers, Mudcrutch, Solo, and the Traveling Wilburys. Skipper Smokehouse, Saturday, October 22nd. Doors at 5, Music 6 Sharp. Tickets are $20 at 813-238-8001 or WMNF.org.
music in it In fact that's where music comes from Some of it is just transcendental Some of it is just really dumb But I I love it when you sing to me Magnetic fields. I love magnetic fields. Um, I want to let you know something going on here and about town. Uh, a couple of things. One, tonight, so I went away from it. Tonight, there is an event at the Creative Opportunities and Visual uh, Entrepreneurs, I think, Cove. It's a gallery studio in Pinellas Park. It's located at 5705. Um, Park Boulevard in Pinellas Park, and they have a Letterheads graffiti exhibition. It's celebrating graffiti, um, all the different cool graffiti that gets made by over 30 graffiti artists, uh, and that starts at 6.30, I think. Oh, uh, shoot. Sorry, I lost the time it started. Oh, 6, six o'clock from 6 to 11. I'm going to post that also on our Facebook page. Please like and follow Art in Your Ear on Facebook, and you can see all these different things. So I'm going to post this on Facebook. Also, uh, at USF Contemporary Art Museum, they have a, uh, a talk by Matthew Mazzotta. Matthew Mazzotta, if you've traveled through the Tampa um, airport, there's the huge flamingo. Well, the artist uh, Matthew Mazzotta is going to be talking about it on Tuesday, September 27th at 6.30 p.m. It's called The Architecture of Social Space, Creating Spaces of Critique Within the Places We Live. And that is at the St. Pete campus on USF. I'll also post that information again. That's on the 20th, Tuesday, the 27th at 6.30 p.m. Everything's on Tuesdays now. Tuesday is the new Thursday. Um, anyway, let me play this song. This song goes out to Flea. It's the Courtney's. And um, I know that he's listening, and I fell in love with the song. It's called 90210. Uh, We're going to start to rock a little bit here on Art in Your Ear.
Bridget with a WMNF public service announcement. The St. Petersburg Museum of History's Vintage Florida Celebration, Cocktails on the Courts, is Saturday, September 24th at the St. Petersburg Shuffleboard Club. Doors open at 7 p.m. for a 50s-themed night under the stars with unlimited Florida cuisine and cocktails, live music by the Black Honkies, a 1950s vintage Florida fashion show, and a live Florida art demonstration. Vintage 50s-themed attire or costumes are encouraged but not required. Details at the museum's website, spmoh.org. We need you. This is Miss Julie. Our week-long fall membership drive is from 9 a.m. Thursday, October 6th through 9 a.m. on Thursday, October 13th. We are seeking volunteers to help take pledge calls, tally people to track funds coming in, and food donors to help feed those hungry and grateful volunteers. Restaurants, chefs, or caterers can find out more about donating drinks, snacks, or individually packaged meals, or how to volunteer by calling me at 813-238-8001 or email Miss Julie, that's M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E at WMNF.org. Thanks.
All right, while King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards are having a jam, I'm going to let you know there is a really cool exhibition opening up at the Florida Museum of Photographic Arts. It opens up on September 30th. It's by Shane Brown. Shane Brown is an Oklahoma-based Cherokee photographer and filmmaker documenting the present-day cultural landscape of the American West. And so this is an exhibition called Shane Brown in the Territories and Reservation Dogs, and it looks beautiful. Uh, Again, that opens on September 30th. The Florida Museum of Photographic Arts is located in downtown Tampa uh, in the Rivergate Tower. It is located at 400 North Ashley Drive. Uh, if you want some more information, you can always go online to, I think it's a FMPOA. Yes, it's uh, www.fmopa.org and I will post that also. Thank you everybody for listening. I see E-Love in the studio, so get ready for some beautiful music. And again, Bangarang is going to be on Live Music Showcase. Then we've got Reverend Billy coming in with Marvelous Marv to give you a rock and roll afternoon starting at 3 on the Rhythm Revival. That's followed by classic R&B and soul on the, uh, on the uh, with Steve the Hitman on... Uh, on Soul Party at 6, and then we've got the wonderful smorgasbord of great rhythm-based music on the Soul Kitchen. That's from 8 to 10 with um, such a fun show. And we end up the night always a Flashback Friday with Chuck Core Jr., and that is Florida Soul, Florida RB. You have been listening to WMNF Tampa, WMNF 88.5 FM, the best station in the nation. My name's Joan Schilke. Take care.